Good morning, beloved. I'm Pastor Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. I want to welcome those who are watching online. And uh, I, I came to a conclusion just a few moments ago that um, you, you write these words and then you see these words um, up here and you just see God's hand. And I'm just so excited and I'm trembling with this message. For the past few weeks, we've been working our way through a series called The Story, and today we're on week four of, uh, in a 31-week journey, and uh, we're doing this in a chronological way, this study through the Bible, and in the first nine chapters of Genesis, we discovered God's original pr plan, and, and we saw creation, and because of Adam and Eve and the fall, sin entered into the world, and we saw God save the righteous through Noah and his family and animals two by two. And in the second week we heard the story of, or third, the second week we heard the story of Abraham and Sarah, how God chose them even in their senior citizenship. He called them to be parents and start a new nation that would help in fulfilling his plan and be his people. We saw a miracle child of Isaac and the nation of Israel was born. And God is building a multitude of chosen people in that nation. And last week we heard the faithfulness of Joseph, the grandson of Isaac, the son of Jacob. And despite years of imprisonment, Joseph rose to Pharaoh's right hand in order to help save Egypt and his own family from famine. And so today we arrive to the beginning of the book of Exodus. And we find after Joseph and his family died, generations begin to pass away. As the Israelites flourish in number, the favor of the Egyptians begins to fade. And the new Pharaoh is concerned about those numbers growing. And they're becoming powerful. And therefore, the Egyptians resent them. And they're put into bondage and forced to become slaves. And they inaugurate the first genocide in order to diminish those numbers. The command comes down to the top, from the top that every firstborn son be thrown into the Nile. And God hears their cries and they're in favor and in danger of being annihilated. This was the world that baby Moses was born into. But he was chosen to deliver his people. And after three months of mom hiding baby Joseph, she puts him into a basket, places him in the reeds of that Nile. Pharaoh's daughter, you see God's hand working, finds the baby, and Moses begins to be reared in royalty. And Pharaoh's daughter requests a Hebrew mother to nurse Moses. And his biological mom is selected. And so we're just prepping Moses to be used to help with that freedom. And we see Moses becomes privileged, educated, and culturated in the ways of the Egyptian. He even ate at the royal table of Pharaoh. And Moses was being prepared to deliver his people. And God's hand was just so involved. But on the side was his mother, quietly making sure he remembers who he is. And we could hear her whisper. We see one day after Moses grows older, he witnesses an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, one of his own people. Moses sees that the coast is clear, and he murders that oppressor, that Egyptian. After accusations, Moses flees into the wilderness of Midian, 
That's where he spent 40 years, 40 years. Moses, from royalty to sheep herder, and there he starts a family. And so one day Moses is tending the flock of sheep that belonged to his father-in-law Jethro, and he's on the side of Oreb, the mountain of God, and then the call comes. A bush, it's on fire, but it is not consumed. It becomes a torch to signal the beginning of deliverance, and God calls his, calls his name. He says, Moses, Moses, don't come any closer, but take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. I always wonder why God had him do this. You know, if you took off your shoes right here, you know, because I believe this is holy ground, it would feel some, you'd feel funky. You wouldn't want to smell my shoes. It smells like a dead cat. But maybe God was saying, I need you to feel the dirt. I need to calibrate you. I need you to come into contact with the holy. My Air Force buddies, when they were deployed in the Middle East, they would ask for grass, seed, to be sent to them so they could plant the grass. And then they would all walk around on that fresh water-grown grass, maybe saying to themselves, I need to feel home. I need to remember where I'm from. I'm an American. And then God's saying as if, remember Moses, I'm holy and you're mine. I chose you. You're from my people. Take off your sandals. And God reminds him of that lineage, Abraham, Isaac. And Moses hides his face and tells him the plan. They're in misery. I have this plan for deliverance. And we hear the insecurity and self-doubt of Moses. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and deliver the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And God tells him, you want to know how you're going to get through this, Moses? Me. I will be with you. It's not about you. It's about me. And many times we forget that, don't we? About his power empowering us to do what we think is impossible. It reminds me of the first scripture I ever learned after I gave my life to Christ, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Moses asks a question when, we, when they tell me the name of the one who sent me, what name shall I say? And we hear this name and it's powerful, Yahweh. You know, we have many titles of God, but this is the name of God. It comes from the confluence of two Hebrew verbs, I am and I cause to be. I am. Just tell them I am sent you. You know, if you strolled up to me and, and said, Jonathan, how are you, buddy? And I said, I am. <laughs> you would say, can I finish the sentence, man? <laughs> are you happy? Are you sad? Are you filled with joy? And are you grumpy? I am. And then you would say, you know what, I have the number of my therapist. Um, I'd like to give you that number, Jonathan. God answers, I am, and there's a reason. You see, we change year by year, day by day. Right now, you are changing. You ask, how are you? I'm starving. I'm wonderful. I'm jacked up on coffee. I'm sleepy. We have to finish that sentence because we are always changing, my friends. When God says, I am, he is saying, I never change and I cause things to be. He's the one who said, I am who I am and I got by with it. 
I love this story from the book The Robe, written by Lloyd C. Douglas. When he was a university student, he lived in a boarding house, and downstairs on the first floor was an elderly retired music teacher, not, not able to leave that apartment. And he lived up on the second floor, and they became very close friends. And Lloyd said every morning he had this ritual he would go through. He would come down the steps. He would peek in the retired teacher's room. And he would say, well, what's the good word, professor? And the old man in his wheelchair would pick up his tuning fork, and he would wrap it on the side of that wheelchair, and it would hum. And he said, that's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. It'll be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor that's singing across the room this morning was out of tune. The piano on the fourth floor is out of tune. And the old man discovered one thing that he could depend on was the constant, unchanging reality of his life in God. And the constant for us as Christians is the I am. We worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who never changes. We live in a changing world. It overwhelms. You know, and we don't understand this change and this, this stuff that the world produces. And we can't keep up with this change. And it's crazy to try to keep up with that change. And frankly, sometimes I don't want to. I still don't understand a hashtag. I don't. <laughs> I still don't understand the church office copier. I mean, I don't know if that's going to change. But you think about it, churches change. This church is changing. And you're changing. I find hair growing in funky places. You're forgetting, I'm forgetting. We're, we're trying to remember, we're trying to navigate through this journey, this human journey where there's all kinds of change. And change can come through abuse and sin that can lead to oppression, and that changes us for the negative. Change can cause chaos and pain unless we lock into the unchanging Yahweh I am. We have to. Because the I am is the deliverer from this changing world. It's like saying, Moses, the reason you will not fail is because I'm the I am. I'm the one who causes to be. I'm strong mighty. I am the deliverer. The power will come from me. It's not about your ability, Moses. It's about your availability to the I am. We need to live into this because some of us right now in some situation, you're saying, I can't in the midst of what's going on and even in the midst of the small task God is commanding us really to do because he knows we can experience freedom from that oppression. Maybe you're saying today, I can't be delivered from the oppression of sin. This past week, I had a family situation that was just weighing upon me, that was oppressing me, and I, there was sometimes I just had this doubt. And I went over here and I prayed with a prayer partner, Brad, <laughs> Durflinger. You know, it was just release that to God. I had back spasms when I was preaching the sermon last week, and I felt that physical oppression. 
And then throughout the week, I saw the power of God work in my family and my brothers experiencing a lot of healing. We have to live in this. One thing I've learned in the past year plus about being among you and serving with our staff and seeing what God is doing, he desires to give us this freedom and reconciliation with him. And, and that begins a revival in us. And God desired to get rid of the oppression and free his people so that what? They can worship. And when that oppression is removed, we have the freedom to worship. And today, I saw that in the lyrics, and I just gave it up because I'm just feeling that oppression leave. And I just want to give all my life in worship to God. And he called his people and delivered them so that they could leave that oppression and go and worship his people and you belong to him it's about his power you know in Moses in inadequacy sorry when you get going you're like woo you know thank you Holy Spirit in his inadequacy why am I having to? anyway in his you know that stuff anyway Yahweh he still supplies he gives Moses a staff. He gives Moses something tangible to cling to and to hold to, kind of like with Minus with his blanket. God even shows him to, some cool stuff to do with that staff. You know, pick it up by the tail, you know, and grab hold of it. It's God helping him to understand that his, he is with him and wants to rely, wants him to rely on him. But Moses, look at it. If you read those chapters in in Exodus 3, he literally cries, pardon me, God, please just send someone else. And it says in 3.14, and then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And then God still supplies. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. I know you're not eloquent in speech. He's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. It's like God shaking his head, frustrated that Moses doesn't get it. But he specifically, like I said, supplies those needs. Aaron, to help Moses, he knows Moses through Aaron and through that staff, he's up to it. But in that self-doubt, he also supplies help to Moses to take that, just that one next faithful step. And he can turn his face to Egypt and go. When I read this, I remember so many times me saying to myself, my self-talk, God, I can't, I can't, please, I need your help. And every time God shows up, there might be some time there, but he supplies. There's been many errands in my life, and God will deliver and supply. And there's errands sitting around you right now. Look around. We're here. We're a part of the body of Christ. We have to encourage one another in our walk and in those doubts. I don't know if he's going to toss you a cool staff, but there are people here. You know, these prayer partners like I experienced last week and what I experienced along the way in my life group and through the ministries of my brother and sisters on the staff to stand beside and help us with these taskings that we are called to do by God. 
Moses and Aaron meet up, and Moses kisses him. Oh, my gosh, dude, I'm so glad you're with me. And Moses shares the plan with his brother Aaron. And together they go to Pharaoh, and they proclaim, Yahweh says, let my people go. These are my people, not yours. I'm freeing them to worship me, not you. And we see the display of God's power through Moses and Aaron and ultimately his justice upon these Egyptian oppressors. Look at these ten plagues. You see them? Blood. Nile turning to blood. Water everywhere turning to blood. Stinky fish dying in that water. And then frogs everywhere coming taking over, infiltrating in their beds and in their, their cups and saucers, lice, gnats, blah, you can see it. Flies come in after that. Little gnats, big flies. Livestock dropping over dead. Boils. I remember when I was a kid living in a rising sun in the end, I had two boils. You do not want boils. I don't even want to ask anybody to raise their hand because you'll get a full body shiver. They are so freaking gross. <laughs> hail. Hail coming down. You, we've all experienced hail. This hail was tearing down trees. And then these locusts came and ate all of that torn up you know, vegetation. Darkness. This wasn't just, you know, starlight. Oh, it's getting dark outside. This was pitch black. The kind of stuff where you're in a dark room underneath 30, you know, down 30 stories and down in a cavern, you can't see anything. That's scary, man. And you're bumping into each other, bloody nose, bump on the head. But this final plague, this final plague that was threatened was said to Pharaoh. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the female slave who is her hand mill and all the firstborn of cattle as well, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt worse there than there has ever been or ever will be again. Folks, this is a foreshadowing of God's plan through his only son, Jesus Christ. God knew that after this final plague, it would make Pharaoh point a finger in utter grief and say, go. And so God, if you read Exodus 12, he gets specific in his instructions. You have to read it. I want to summarize it. Sacrifice a perfect lamb. Apply the blood of that unblemished lamb to the doorposts of your home. This will be a sign for death to pass over and save whoever is in that house. And this whole chapter is detailed, and it begins a ceremony, a ritual of remembrance for his people to come. And as Christians, we know and remember the new covenant found in his blood every time we dip that body into his blood symbolically. And then we see the Passover come. Death comes at midnight. You hear wailing. Every firstborn who was not under that blood of the lamb dies. Folks, it wasn't about who was in the house. It wasn't if you were Egyptian or Hebrew 
slave or free, male or female. It wasn't birth order. It was about where you were. If you were in a house where that blood was applied, standing beneath that blood of the perfect lamb, you were saved. And it happened. And Pharaoh finally let his people go. They're free. But you see, Pharaoh's heart hardens again, and he's like, my slaves are leaving. I've got to retrieve them. You know, oppression, it has everything to do with a hardened heart. And he pursues. And oppression will pursue. But God delivers again. He parts the Red Sea, and they're standing there. They're in fear. And Moses, they're complaining to Moses, and they're like, we're going to die here. We're going to die here. But Moses, instructed by God, lifts up that staff, water, the Red Sea parts, dry ground. And they walk, and he delivered them. And then he said, watch what will happen. And they're coming. Chariots, everything, chasing. And they get in the middle, and bam. Drown. Red Sea overtakes. And they walk forward in freedom. They are free. And there are his people, and they are there free to worship. You see, oppression, like I said, always pursues, and we need someone to save us. We are enslaved, not to Pharaoh, but to sin and death. And we desperately and urgently need a savior. We absolutely need to be delivered from sin and death because death can oppress us. You know, I always see people, I am scared to die. I do not want to die, and it's oppressive. But God saves, and his instructions are clear. There is a Savior. Come to him and believe. John the Baptist, when Jesus was walking toward him, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he testified to that, and the sacrificial Lamb of God shed his own blood to cover our sin, and he gave his life so that we could experience salvation, and that is, in its totality, wholeness. New life, forgiven, cleansed, freed, free from oppression. And we need to apply that blood to our lives. Jesus' mission was to deliver us from the oppression of sin. In Luke 4, 19, he opens up the scroll and he reads his mission. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. He sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you know, he did that. He did everything specifically. It was the plan of God. To offer his son, his only son, a sacrifice for our sin to release us from oppression. In our tradition of Methodism, we see incredible hymns written by Charles Wesley. And Mark Putman and I found this. We asked Danny Stover. And we, I know there's this verse here. And, he, and Danny's like, I'm an excellent brain, just boom. And, oh, that's love divine, what thou hast done. And listen to these lyrics. Oh, love divine, what thou hast done. The immortal God hath died for me. The Father's co-eternal Son bore all my sins upon a tree. The immortal God for me hath died. My Lord, my love is crucified. Behold him, all ye who pass by, the bleeding prince of life and peace. Come, sinners, see your Savior die. And say, was there was ever grief like this? Come feel in his blood applied. My Lord, my love is crucified. We have to ask for this wholeness. We want to be delivered from it as if our life depends upon it. And we have to apply that precious blood. 
and the oppression will be destroyed. It's the remedy. We have to trust in the one who has saved, saved us, and we will be delivered. I want us to look at this video, this testimony from Kate Martin, who experienced this freedom. So it's, it just started out with, um, my life is insane, and um, I've got a lot going on. And I was sitting in the service where Mark started talking about, it was the first day of the break free class. And I had started pulling stuff off my to-do list because I'm like, I just can't keep doing this. And I'm sitting there totally convicted. And I looked at my phone and I'm like, I guess I'm signing up for the break free class. <laughs> so I did. So I attended the break free class, which included small group sessions. And during those sessions, several lies were revealed to me that I had come into agreement with about myself. Um, the major one being I was unlovable. And the second was unforgiveness. My father had passed away three years ago and our family splintered. And to this day is still somewhat divided. And what these classes revealed to me was that I had a lot of unforgiveness in my life towards them. So Pam Schwartz, who was a leader of our small group, encouraged me to take advantage of the one-on-one -on -one healing sessions that was provided by the church. The first one that I attended was pretty profound. During that session, um, essentially a conversation with the Lord. I had such an encounter that there was a physical, tangible presence in the room. He was with me. He shared with me how much he loved me to the point of me even sitting here trying to explain it. Can't even really accurately describe his love for me and for all of us. He delivered me from the unforgiveness and the unlovable lies that I had come into agreement with. And after that, I was like, I'm in, I'm all in. Um, I'm tired of carrying all this stuff around. Um, I want a relationship, I had an encounter, and I want to know him. And he's steadily revealing things um, that I continually am dropping my baggage. I'm, I'm letting it go, I'm breaking the chains, and he's helping me get there. And uh, it's been a pretty amazing a journey. Amen. What will you do without freedom? You live in oppression. There's a deliverer. His name is Jesus Christ. God has done everything to partner with us, and he will supply everything we need in order to deliver us. If you're struggling with something, keeping you from full life, you can request an inner healing session by contacting one of our pastors or Laura Berger. 
There are also two-person teams that can meet with you privately, confidentially, prayerfully, and help you heal in that oppression, heal that oppression. You can learn how to break those strongholds and experience revival and have that flame fanned. There's a two-week conference coming up on inner healing. And so, just go and remember God delivers. He is your God, and he's chosen you, and he wants you to be free. Let us pray. God, we thank you for delivering. We see it that you've delivered your people to worship you, and you want to deliver us. So, God, we open up our lives and we surrender. Come. Show us your power. It's about you doing it. Open up our hearts and our minds. Receive all the miracles to apply that blood and to watch you work through us in your power. We ask this in the name of the most amazing deliverer ever, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all of God's people say, amen.